Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. I wanted to start off today by telling you it's an honor that you would welcome me into your place, wherever and whenever that place might be. Whether you're watching this today or tomorrow or next week or next month or next year for that matter. In fact, that kind of reminds me, I think today would be a great day to share this talk. I think the talk that you and me, we've had to have it for a while. And I think everybody you know actually needs to hear it. So wherever you are, whether you're in your kitchen, at the lake, in the car, on the boat, in a coffee shop, wherever, I appreciate you having me over. I'm thankful. And speaking of thankful, I'm really thankful to George Franco, who came in for the last two weeks to speak to us. He challenged us that if we really want to step up in life, we got to be willing to step down. And he redefined the whole concept of VIP. But you and me, (laughs) you and me have been talking about this guy named Nehemiah, who lived about 2,500 years ago. In fact, there's a whole book in the Old Testament of the Bible about Nehemiah. It's a book about rebuilding and revival and leadership. And we've been walking through the first five chapters of this 13-chapter book. And we've seen some character qualities in Nehemiah that make him a great leader. The first thing we notice is that Nehemiah cares. He's living a pretty good life in Susa. He serves as the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. He's about 1,200 kilometers from Jerusalem. When he hears the news that the walls of Jerusalem are down and the people of Jerusalem are vulnerable, unprepared, and afraid. And Nehemiah is devastated because he looks at those people of Jerusalem and he says, those people are my people. He cares. Not only does he care, he's courageous. He looks at those walls down. He looks at those people who are vulnerable, unprepared, and afraid, and he says, somebody has to do something to help these people, and that somebody is me. And it got me thinking about you and me a little bit, you know? It's like, I think... 2020 has knocked the walls down for a lot of people in our culture. And whether or not you and me are directly involved, we care. These are our people. Not only do we care, but we're courageous enough to say somebody has to do something. It's rebuilding time. And that somebody is us. So Nehemiah, he cares, he's courageous. He's also humble. He's humble enough that when he arrives in Jerusalem, He sees the the walls that need to be rebuilt, and he says, this job is too big for me, so he assembles a team. I think the same thing is true of us, you know? Like the, the life that God has called me to live, it's way bigger than I can live on my own. The story that God has called you to tell, it's way bigger than you can tell on your own. So he's humble enough to assemble a team. He's also determined. So the project starts, and they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and they start to face all this opposition from guys like Sanballat, and Tobiah. They intimidate and um, make fun of the Jewish people, but Nehemiah is determined. They keep building. And then we left off in chapter 5, and we saw that Nehemiah is a man of integrity. Because in chapter 5, we see that not only did this rebuilding project face opposition from the outside, it also faced opposition from the inside that wealthy Jewish people were exploiting and taking advantage of uh, poorer members of their own Jewish community. And Nehemiah looks at them, he calls everybody together, he says, look, here's the thing, man, if we don't get our 
squat together, we're not going to rebuild squat. If we don't get our squat together, we're not going to rebuild squat. Another way that you could say that is like, if I don't have it, I can't give it. And on that note, we turn our attention to chapter 6 of the book of Nehemiah, verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at some place, I can't pronounce it, in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? It's interesting because you might be looking at me right now saying, hey, Mike, I think you're reading out of the wrong chapter because Sanballat and Tobiah, they're so chapter four. No, no, they're here again in chapter six. And here's a spoiler alert for you. Sanballat and Tobiah keep appearing in the book of Nehemiah all the way to the 13th and final chapter. There's a lesson there, by the way. Anytime that you do a great work in your life, when you do a great work in your marriage, when you do a great work in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church, at work, anytime you do a great work, you will always face opposition. Not just once, but continually. It'll ebb and flow, but it will always be there. But that's okay. See, because Nehemiah showed us how you and me are to deal with opposition. We don't run from it, right? Like Nehemiah didn't stand up in their wall and go, oh no, Sanballat and Tobiah are back. I quit. I'm going back to Susa. We don't run from it. And we don't run to it. Like Nehemiah didn't look and say, oh, you want me to come down from the wall? That's a great idea because I have a brick with your name on it. He didn't do that either. So we don't run from opposition. We don't run to opposition. We run through it. Nehemiah looks at them and says, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. You think about Sanballat and Tobiah, kind of a dumb idea in the first place, right? This ambush. Where did they plant it? The Valley of Ono. Like, what a dumb idea. Like, that would never work, right? Like, oh no, it just sounds stupid. It sounds like it's not going to work. Like, can you imagine Nehemiah talking to his friends? Like, hey, should I go meet Sanballat and Tobiah? Uh, where, where do they want to meet? Oh no. Yeah, you're probably right, Nehemiah. Just hold off. No, 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 no. But, but, but should I go? Should I go meet them? Where? Where? Oh no. Yeah, you know what? We agree. Just stay here and build. That's a pastor joke. And it's hilarious. The tech team, right? The sound guy, Josh, the sound guy right now, is busting a gut in the back because it's so funny. Here's what I want to say, though. There's a, I guess if I just say there's a money line in this passage. Here it is. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. That's focus. See, what I hope to show you today is that you are doing a great work in your life. And in order for your great work to be everything that you were created to be, you need to have focus. Years ago, I worked at a little tiny private school. I taught history. I was the head of the secondary school, and I also coached basketball. And I remember in the years right after I started coaching, probably it took us about three or four years, but over three or four years, our, our basketball program went from the very bottom to, in my mind, pound for pound, the best basketball program in the province. <laughs> like, like this group of guys, we, we would go into high schools with graduating classes that were literally 100 times the size 
of, this, uh, 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 of our school, and we would blow their doors off. And I was thinking about it this week. Why? Why, why were they able to do that? Why was that team able to do that? I think there's a lot of reasons. Like, they were a, a group of gifted grinders, I called them. Gifted grinders. Super gifted athletically, relationally, technically super gifted, but also grinders, like they worked hard. But I think there was one more reason why they were able to achieve the things that they were able to achieve, and that was focus. I remember a few times a year back then, I would take the whole team before practice, and we would go up to my classroom. And I would write on the whiteboard, I would write down, here are the four things that you need to make as the focuses of your life, okay? I would write down, God, family, school, basketball. God, family, school, basketball, okay? And then I would take a line and I would draw a line down, like really far, down below the whiteboard, down my wall. One time I actually said, we're gonna take a field trip. And we all walked out of the classroom, down the stairs to the classroom that was below my classroom. I went to, her, to the whiteboard of the teacher who taught below me. I drew a line all the way down her board and at the very bottom I wrote, girls, girls. God, family, school, basketball. And then below you, a floor below you, girls. Thought high school dating was kind of stupid. I still kind of think that actually. And every time I say that, I always get somebody that'll come up to me and say, man, like uh, I met my wife when we were seven we started dating when we were nine, and we've been married for like 92 years. And every time someone tells me that, I think to myself, wow, you've given me a lot to think about. And I still think high school dating is stupid. But that's beside the point, okay? But that was the focus, God, family, school, basketball. You say, well, where, where's fun in there, Mike? Oh no, I think if you talk to the guys, that played basketball for about the 10 years that I coached at that little school, they would tell you they had a lot of fun. Because you know what? Winning is fun. Achieving great things with a group of your best friends is a lot of fun. Doing things that other people don't think are possible, it's a lot of fun. But I got to think about you and me and this great work that we're embarked on. And I think the same thing that was true with that group of basketball players back then is true of you and me today. God, family, school, basketball. Okay, so what I would like you to do right now is take out a piece of paper, if you have one. Man, I really felt like a teacher when I said that. Take out a piece of paper, or take out your phone, and please write down those four priorities. God, family, school, basketball. And what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to take every one of those and put them in our context today. Make sense? Okay, so uh, the first one, God. Can I put that in our context today? Yes, I can. We'll keep it the same. God, Okay, so the first thing that we need to place our focus on is God. And, and you, know, you know what I'm not really feeling like I want to give you today or what I'm maybe even capable of giving today is like seven quick ways to set your sights on God in 2020. I don't really have that for you. Or five ways to fix your eyes on Jesus this year. I don't really have that for you. What I do is I have a passage. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. This is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me if you are weary or burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. I want to tell you a little bit about my last seven months. So about seven months ago, it was December 9th of 2019. I was feeling pretty grateful. Our family was doing great. All the kids were healthy. Um, Our daughter Tori and her husband Josh had baby Noah earlier that year, our first grandson. He was doing awesome. Our son Bedza was off in Australia in YWAM, and we were just so proud of the way that God was teaching him and stretching him. In terms of how was the church doing, December 9th, 2019. Man, on December 9th, 2019, I was looking back at um, the most amazing year in our church's history. I don't care how you measure it. I don't care what parameters you would use it. It was an extraordinary, extraordinarily amazing year on every level. It was a groundbreaking, amazing, life-changing year. And on December 9th, 2019, I was also looking ahead to... Uh, the sermon that I was going to preach at our Christmas services. And I was really excited because I was pretty convinced that uh, I was going to be the first pastor in history that was going to use David and the story of David and Goliath as the Christmas text, okay? And I still believe that I was. And by the way, if you're on a chat right now and you're just about to type in, no, no, Mike, I know another pastor that did it. Don't. Don't. Just let me, let me have this. Let me live in this. Thank you. It's kind of chilling when I think about it, though. The prophetic nature of that sermon. See, if you were there, you might remember that we talked about the fact that Goliath and the Philistines were assembled. There was this giant named Goliath, and they were, they were intimidating the Israelite army. They were um, mocking them. They were threatening them. They were scaring them. And things were looking really, really dismal. And, 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 and one day, this punk kid named David shows up at the front lines on a sandwich delivery for his brothers. We said it this way, enter David. Enter David into all this intimidation and all this adversity. And really, without much fanfare, because what can some punk kid do? But, but this is what we said. We said Goliath was in trouble, but Goliath just didn't know it yet. And then we talked about you and me, and we said, we're about to step into 2020, and 2020 is going to be full of good things, but it's also going to be full of challenge and struggle and strife and adversity and darkness. Enter you into 2020. And this is what we said. We said, darkness doesn't know it, but darkness is in trouble. And some seven months later, I would tell you, with some faltering faith, I would still tell you, I believe it to be true. And so the Christmas services were incredible. We smashed our previous attendance records for our our Christmas service, and we moved into January. And in January, we started hearing about this virus that was kind of shaped like a crown called the coronavirus. Traveling around the world, but we felt a little bit isolated from it here in North America. We weren't sure what was going to become of it. And then by the time February rolled around, we realized that this was going to be an issue. We just didn't know exactly what kind of issue it was going to be. On then March 11th of 2020, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive for the coronavirus and the world stopped. That was a Wednesday evening. And I still remember over the next 24 hours 
kind of um, the discussions that we had around church leadership. The first thing we, we, we decided is we thought, hey, we'll still have church this upcoming Sunday, but, uh, but we'll tell people if you're vulnerable or if you have pre-existing conditions, please, please stay home. We'll stream it live online also. Remember, we were still learning about what this whole COVID thing was back then. We went from that to saying, no, no, we'll have church, but we'll remove half the chairs, okay? And, uh, and, and we'll tell people who are vulnerable or have pre-existing conditions just to stay home. And then we said, no, no, what we'll do is we'll remove half the chairs, we'll still have church, we'll have like 15 hand washing stations, if we can get a hold of some hand washing stations, set up all around the gym, and we'll tell people who are vulnerable or who have pre-existing conditions to stay home. Two, learning a little bit more, saying we will not have church, we will launch a brand new campus of Southside Church called Southside Church Online, and we did. And I remember in those early days, man, I was so energized and so enthusiastic. I didn't take the virus lightly. I didn't take quarantine lightly, but I felt like God had given me three little letters, T-R-Y. We just got to try. We're just going to keep trying. We're just going to keep trying to bring more help, more hope, more home to our city and to this world. So every morning, I would wake up at 4 a.m., not because my alarm was set, but because I just did. I was energized. I was stoked, and I would, <clears throat> I would work all day and into the night, every single day. I remember um, we flew our son Bedza back home from Australia early, and Corinne picked him up at the airport. So Corinne uh, and him had to be quarantined together for 14 days, and so the rest of the family kind of spread out to different places to live. And we had some awesome friends that uh, gave Lucas, Samuel, and I a place to live right on the lake, which was so cool. And I just, my memories of those two weeks are just waking up at 4 a.m., getting up, driving along the lake, and coming back here, working all day into the night, coming home, going to bed, waking up at 4 a.m., just energized. And it has been amazing to see what God has done. But something happened to me about a month ago. I woke up at 4 a.m., as usual, but <clears throat> this time I didn't feel energized. I felt exhausted, and I didn't know why. I felt overwhelmed and I didn't know why. And I felt really sad and I didn't know why. <laughs> it's funny, earlier, um, a couple days ago, one of our staff members um, was watching a video <clears throat> of me from, uh, from the week before we, we, uh, we, when we were still meeting at Sardis, so on March the 8th. And he looks at me, he says, man, you look so young back then. And so I fired him. So that's sad, but I mean... He'll find another job, don't worry about him. But, but I, I didn't really know why I felt like my walls were down. <laughs> you know? Like I, I, I could give you lots of peripheral reasons, like somebody asked me not long ago, they said, when's the last time you took time off? And I had to look on my calendar and I said, oh, November of 2019. So I'm like, didn't you take a Sabbath? I did, I did. I took 24 hours every seven days. I did. But what I realized lately is the way that I was taking Sabbath was not really, um, I thought I was doing the right thing, but it wasn't really right because this is what I did. I would wake up really, really early every day and work really, really late every day so that by the time my 24 hours off came, I had other things that I needed to do that didn't involve my job that I had to get done. So even that day became busy. But if I could just 
kind of cut through the chase and all the peripheral and give you one summary statement for why I think I got to this place where I felt overwhelmed, exhausted, and sad. Here's what it would be. 2020 sucks. Can I just say what we're all thinking? 2020 sucks. I said, well, Mike, wait a minute. You said that we need to be grateful for these opportunities. No, no, absolutely we do. But here's what I realized, that you can be grateful and overwhelmed at the same time. You can be grateful and sad at the same time. You can be grateful and exhausted at the same time. So I'm really, honestly, <laughs> I'm not in the place right now where I'm going to give you seven quick steps to set your eyes on Jesus in 2020 or five quick ways to find a holy focus this year. I'm just going to give you a passage. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, this is what I realized even over these last weeks. I think I was moving along thinking, man, I'm God's little helper. I'm God's little worker, you know? I'm God's little redneck from Red Deer with a baseball hat that says, get her done, get her done, get her done. You can take the boy out of Red Deer, but you can't take the Red Deer out of the boy. And I feel like what God has shown me over this last month is that I'm not God's little worker. I'm not God's little helper. I'm not even God's little redneck. I'm his son. And that's enough. And at the end of the day, that's really all there is. And my job is just to rest in that. And when I rest in that, what happens is something called becoming. Becoming the child of God, who I was born to be. And here's what's crazy. The person that I'm becoming is exponentially more important than anything I could ever do. Let me put that a different way. The person that I'm becoming will make an exponentially greater difference in the world than anything that I could ever do. See, you are doing a great work. You are part of a great work. And that great work, the great work of your life, is becoming. You're not as... You're not his little helper. You're not his little worker. You're not his little redneck. You're his child. And the great work of your life is going to be to rest in that and to become more fully, more completely his child. So on that piece of paper, what I want you to do is, beside God, I want you to just write Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Okay, next, family, okay? So I want you to write beside family. I want to change that for our context just a little bit. Instead of family, I want you to write family, family, okay, family. So friends and family. Because this is absolutely crucial if you are married, and it's actually more crucial if you're single. Okay, so about a month ago, I wake up, and I feel overwhelmed, exhausted, and sad. And my wife, Corinne, says to me, Something's wrong. We need to talk about it. <clears throat> and I said, 
I can't talk about it because I don't know why I'm feeling this way. Like, I, 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 I need to figure this out first before I can talk to you about it. And then I also remember about a month ago, we did an event at the new facility. We, uh, we hosted a bunch of small group leaders and key volunteers from our church, and we did a little tour um, around, the new, <clears throat> around the new Southside Church. And two of the people that came to that tour are really, really good old friends of mine. And a couple days later after the event, they texted me and they said, um, how are you doing? And as soon as they send that text saying, how are you doing? I knew what they meant by how are you doing? Okay, but, but here's a little tip for you. If you want to avoid the question, but you don't want to lie, what you do is you continually respond to their question with a question of your own. Okay, so this is what I did. They said, how are you doing? I said, uh, how are you doing? And then they said, we asked you first, how are you doing? I said, why do you ask? They said, it seems like you might be hurting. And I say, what makes you say that? Okay, so I just avoided it for the whole, and then finally they said this, we need to get together. We need to get together and talk. And this was my response. And I checked my text messages today to make sure. I said, I've got a couple things going on in my head. And until I figure them out, I will not be good company. So, that's not how it works. Um, I, don't, I don't even know how to explain this to you. So let me just try to lay it out. What, what I need to do in my life right now is I need to sit with people who love me. And I need to, when they ask me how I'm doing, I need to say, um, I'm exhausted, overwhelmed, and sad. And when they say why, I need to say, I have no idea. And then let the silence sit. You understand? Be because this, this whole becoming thing, this whole becoming thing, this is part of it. Th 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 this is part of it. This is how it works. And the truth is, in your life, in my life, we can't do this great work of becoming alone. We can't. Any more than Nehemiah could have built that wall on his own. We can't. We can't. So number one, God. Number two, family. Uh, right beside that, I can't become on my own. And number three, uh, school. School. So when, when I said to them school, I guess what I was talking about is, is work, our work. So whatever your work is. So if you're at school, your work is school. <laughs> if you're at work, your work is work. Maybe, may, maybe your work is like you're at home caring for your family, caring for your, ch your children. That's your work. You say, well, they're not my work. They're my children. Yeah, and they're a lot of work, okay? So, so, so that, that's your work. And, and here's what I think that our focus should be when it comes to work, what we do. I think our focus needs to be that who I am becoming would shine through whatever it is that I do. That this great work of becoming that's happening inside of me, that it would shine through in the things that I do. So if, I, if I'm a street sweeper, that I would glorify God in the way that I sweep streets. If I'm a waiter, that I would glorify God in the way that I waiter. If I'm a preacher, that I would glorify God in the way that I preach. If I'm a doctor, that I would glorify God in the way that I doctor. 
if I'm a builder, that I would glorify God in how I build, right? If I'm an electrician, that I would glorify God in the way that I electrocute. I've been waiting to use that. I thought it was going to be funnier than it, than it turned out to be. So that was... <sighs> Whatever, okay? Whatever you do. If I'm a lawyer, I would find a new, new job. And say, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you do, that, that, you, that, that, that we would, that, 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 that person, that great work of becoming that's happening inside of me would shine through in, in whatever it is that I do. And if you get to a point in your life where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. What, th- th- whatever I'm doing, I can't do this. It's not right for me. I need to find something else. That's a great idea. So here's what your prayer needs to be. God, can I please glorify you in this place while I look for and find a new place? God, Framley, work, and so beside work, you can write this. May the person I'm becoming shine through the things that I do. And finally, basketball. Basketball. You all need to start playing basketball. What is wrong with you? No. I, I had a tough time figuring this one out. At first, I thought it was like basketball is like a hobby, so you need a hobby, right? Like water polo or I don't know if water polo is a hobby, but let's just say it is, okay? Water polo or macrame or needlepoint or uh, bird watching. We have a bird watcher on staff, Zach. He's a serious bird watcher. I found out from Zach that bird watching isn't actually called bird watching. It's called birding or twitching. So if you're ever around some bird watchers and you want to impress them, call it twitching. That would be a good idea. But I realized that for, for this group of guys, basketball wasn't a hobby. Although I do want to tell you that I think a hobby is important. I think you should have something in your life that you, that you just like to do. That you just enjoy doing it for no, for no reason at all other than you just enjoy doing it. I realize looking back at my life right now, this has been something that I haven't done a really good job of. So I've been trying to like, pick up a hobby this year. I was thinking about trying golf, like to make golf my hobby, but I'm just not sure if you can like, be rested and enraged at the same time. So I'm just kind of working through that one still. But, but, but I, think, I, th- I, I think for those guys back then, basketball wasn't a hobby. I would suggest to you that instead, it was a mission. So that's what I'd like you to write. Beside basketball, write mission. They wanted to leave that school better than they found it. In fact, we talked about that a lot. I talked to them about that a lot. It's funny because all my former basketball players who are watching this, as soon as I said God, family, school, basketball, they were laughing because they heard it so often. But we talked about this a lot too. You need to leave this school better than you found it. And they took that real seriously. Like in some ways, I guess they, they put that school on the map. It's, it's interesting too because if you had come to one of my basketball practices back in that day and you had looked at the team, you know what you wouldn't have probably thought? You wouldn't have probably thought, man, this looks like an assembly of the future rocket scientists of the world. And yet, and yet, and yet, get this, get this. And yet that group of wingnuts, through their grade 11 and 12 year in writing their provincial exams, actually took that little school and, the, and made it ranked by the Fraser Institute as the number one academic school in the Fraser Valley because they just had this notion that they were gonna leave this place better than they found it. It was a small Christian school, so 
I think they kind of changed the notion for that school of what worship looks like. I think what can happen in a small Christian school sometimes, you can get the sense that the, the way that you worship God is by playing the guitar and singing. And if you can't play the guitar and you can't sing, then I guess you just, you just, you're not really worshiping God. And I think what they showed to that school is they showed that school that, you know how you worship God? You worship God by becoming. That's how you worship God. By becoming. Everything that is inside of you. You take that and you just become. That's it. So if you can hoop, hoop. If you can draw, draw. If you can sing, sing. If you can run, run. If you can write, write. Whatever, whatever it is, that's worship. That's worship. They wanted, to, they wanted to leave that place better than they found it, and they did. I remember the last couple years when like, the team was just so good, and when we would have home games, all the little kids from the school would come. Didn't matter how late at night the game was, they would all be there with their own little basketballs, and as soon as halftime came, they'd all be flying onto the court and playing because they looked and they thought, Man, if they can do it, I can do it. That's good. I like that. That's mission. And I think that's you and me. Like, I, I think somewhere along the line, we came to this conclusion. We're, we're going to leave this place better than we found it. You know what I mean? Like, um, see, because I don't think you're God's little worker. And I don't think you're God's little helper. And I certainly don't think you're God's little redneck. You're his child. And you know what he says to you? You know what he says to me? He says once in a while, hey, why don't you come to work? Why don't you come to work with dad today? And he's doing this work called redemption. And invites us into it. And then what we find is we, <clears throat> we find this upside down reality of the open-handed life. That when we give help, we are helped. When we give hope, we find hope. When we give home, we find a home. It's the reason why we did an event like for this city yesterday. Man, what a crazy event. Over 300 people putting in thousands of hours. 11 initiatives right here in Chilliwack, but then initiatives all over North America in Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, Montreal, New Brunswick, South Carolina, California, all over the place. Why? Because we just want to leave this place better than we found it. Say, Mike, isn't that a little bit naive? <laughs> you know, like dropping off groceries at somebody's place, really? Like washing the car of a single mom and filling it up with gas. Like, isn't that kind of like, I don't know, like throwing a, a pebble, a pebble? of hope into an ocean of despair? You know what I think it is? I think that's exactly what it is. And, and, here, and here, here's what I really believe. Here's what I think God wanted me to tell you today. I, I think what happens is when you throw a pebble into an ocean of despair and then another one and another one and another one, you know what eventually happens? You build a bridge to something better. That's it. That's it. So what happens is each of us is, is, is doing this great work of becoming. And then together we assemble, and, 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 and as, as we become together, we leave this place better than we found it. That's mission. So that's our focus. 
God, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Secondly, family. I need your help to do this great work of becoming. Number three, work. May everything I'm becoming shine through in everything that I do. And finally, mission. May part of this journey of becoming shine through and leave this world better than I found it. Because our dad says, hey, I'm doing this work called redemption. Why don't you come along? Let's pray. <clears throat> so God, I do pray. I pray first and foremost to everybody in the sound of my voice today, tomorrow, next month, next year. I pray that they would take on the identity, take hold of the truth, that they are your child, and rest in that. And I thank you that you are faithful, God. And that great work of becoming that you started in them, you will carry it out to completion. And Father, I want to take a second, and if, <clears throat> if you're joining us right now and, and you're thinking to yourself, man, like I, I want to invite God to do that work in my life. I want to give you the chance to do that right now. So here's the truth. The Son of God, Jesus, stepped into human history. He lived, died, rose again. And you can invite him into your life to begin that process, that transition, to do that great work of becoming everything that you were created to be. And the only thing you need to do is accept his free gift that he purchased for you on the cross. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you want to, I'll take that step. So dear Jesus, thank you. Today I just invite you into my life. I want to begin that great work of becoming everything that you created me to be. And also, God, I pray that you would put people around me <coughs> that would help me in this journey. And that you would give me the courage to speak truth and speak authenticity to them. And that who I am would shine through in everything that I do. And I'm thankful. We all pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so just two more things before I go. Number one, um, if you're just feeling alone today, like I said it earlier, like 2020 sucks, you know, and maybe you're in a place where you thought, man, it was okay in March and April and May and June and July, but we're in August now, and this is hard, and you're feeling alone. I want to ask you just one favor. Can you let us help? Can you go onto our website, www.southsidelife.com, and at the bottom, there's a, a text box called Southside Together. Can you reach out? We just want to help you. We're all on the same journey of becoming together. And we want to help you in whatever way we can, support you, answer whatever questions that we can answer. But we can only do it if you reach out. And secondly, if you just invited Jesus into your life, you just uh, began that journey of inviting him into your life and becoming everything you were created to be, I would just ask you to do this for me right now. Could you please text the keyword LIFE to 604-670-3040, okay? We're just going to send you some resources and cheer you on again as we're all on this journey of becoming. I love you guys so much. Thank you. Again, it was an honor. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.